0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: It's Sunday, June 9th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. months until the first votes are taken in the 2020 race. And the 24 Democrats are off and running hard, especially in the traditionally Democratic states that went to President Trump in 2016.
2: I may be a Jersey boy, but my grandmother was born and raised in Des Moines. Yay!
1: And since it's Iowa, it's about trade. And you ask any Iowa farmer uh, if they're doing well
0: and they'll say no? We need a comprehensive strategy, <laughs> not just a pattern of uh,
1: poking folks in the eyes. That's South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's talking about the president's threat to put steep tariffs on Mexican imports if they didn't agree to help with Central American migrants traveling through Mexico to get to the U.S.
3: Look, millions of people are flowing through Mexico. That's unacceptable.
1: Mr. Trump's threat seemed to work crisis averted, at least for the moment. We'll have a closer look at what was agreed to when we speak with a member of the Senate Republican leadership, Missouri's Roy Blunt. Then we'll hear from two 2020 candidates, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar and Montana Governor Steve Bullock. We'll also take a look at a show of unity in a not very unified world, as the U.S. and our allies honor the 75th anniversary of the Normandy invasion. Plus, we'll have analysis on all the news of the day, just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Late Friday, after days of negotiations with Mexican officials and amid warnings from Senate Republicans that they could not back the president's threatened tariffs on $360 billion of Mexican imports... President Trump tweeted that a deal had been reached, that Mexico had, quote, agreed to take strong measures to stem the tide of migration through Mexico. But it is unclear what those new measures are. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Oprador, commonly referred to as AMLO, addressed crowds last night in Tijuana,
4: insisting that
1: President Trump, quote, did not raise a clenched fist, but an open and frank hand, with his threatened tariffs. We begin with one of the Republican leaders who expressed some doubts about the president's threatened tariffs. That's Missouri's Senator Roy Blunt. Welcome to the program. What can you tell us about this declaration of what was agreed to with Mexico? Is there more to it than the press release?
5: Well, I talked to the president Friday night, actually, and he, uh, he of course, uh, understood that uh, I'm always pretty reluctant to use tariffs. I'm more of an open-the-markets kind of guy rather than look for ways to close those markets. But uh, he was, I think, appropriately pleased with the, the agreement that's been made. Uh, about 10 days ago, we made an agreement with Guatemala to work with them on that southern border of Mexico, the northern border of Guatemala. Having the Mexicans agree to be a big part of that uh, is a huge thing. And, and I actually Weren't think
1: they already going to do that.
5: I don't know that they were. You know, no deal is done till it's done and announced. It's like, were the Chinese going to do all the things they agreed to that suddenly at a meeting a month ago, they decided they weren't going to do that they had agreed to? I'm not sure if that discussion had occurred before or not, but I think both presidents here have tried to find a good place to be. Uh, the new president of Mexico, frankly, has surprised me in his willingness to reach out. That rally that was talked about last night uh, in Tijuana was a rally that honored both a growing Mexico and a strong friendship with the United States. So I thought that was a good thing. They have 50 people. The president told me this Friday night on the phone. They currently have 50 people, five zero, on the Guatemalan border. Uh, I think we're going to get closer to about, about 6,000 Mexican uh, National Guard down there helping with that. We've already announced, I think, we're, we were sending uh, previous week about 150 people to work with the Guatemalans. Obviously, if you look at sort of the funnel of Mexico in your mind, it's easier to secure that bottom border than it is the big border between us and Mexico. And frankly, also, Margaret, it can't be a good thing for Mexico to have hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands of people kind of wandering through the country from south to north. I think this is a big win for both sides. And uh, I think the president's willingness to use tariffs, even though I'm not a big supporter of tariffs he is and his willingness to use that probably helped produce a result i hope we don't have to go back to that as an issue again with mexico but the president uh,
1: tweeted this morning that tariffs remain on the table and as you just said this is an agreement in principle it's not a signed binding document right well i think i think they're both committed
5: to it i think if you listen to the president of mexico yesterday There's no reason to believe that they don't understand the important part of this. You know, if we look at this as a... A one-way win that the only country that's affected by all these people coming through Mexico is the mm-hmm. United States. That's the wrong way to look at it. This so you is want actually, more
1: aid to Central America? Uh, of course. That wasn't detailed in that declaration.
5: I think more aid to Central America is a good thing to try to s- help stabilize those economies in ways that are good. Because They're our neighbors. This is our neighborhood. We should be interested in our neighborhood. But the principal point is that the Mexican government itself and the people of Mexico will benefit from trying to get this particular movement of people illegally through their country, with people Mm -hmm. taking them illegally through their country, with all kinds of cartel and other involvement, cannot be a good thing for Mexico. Uh, And we're going to be working together with Mexico and Guatemala to get this under control at the easiest place to get it under control which was the mexico-guatemala border
1: do you know what these side agreements are that the president announced
5: i don't know exactly what the side agreements are i I do understand that what i just mentioned i also understand that there's an agreement that people who do come through the system Mm -hmm. while they're waiting for their asylum claim to be dealt with will be waiting in mexico Rather than here. And if you do those two things, you know. So,
1: I mean, in, in your home state, agricultural people, is huge. So, the president's declaration that there's an agricultural deal, you don't know what that is. I don't know what, what that is, is, but I know it's good Missouri for my is second state. second largest trading partner. You have it, it, like $3 billion in goods.
5: It's, it's a huge thing for my state. The whole NAFTA agreement has been really good for. Uh, particularly the middle of the country, we'd be the fifth most negatively impacted state if NAFTA went away. And uh, autos and agriculture are the two two things that probably are our biggest connections right now to Mexico.
1: What I hear you saying is for you on this, the ends justify the means. But at the same time, this kind of brinksmanship, going to the edge with tariffs, can you reuse that threat? I mean, if if the deal's not done, you have to keep talking. That must make you very concerned. I think the bigger message here is the president tried to do this.
5: If I was guessing, well, that's very hypothetical. I think the biggest lesson here, probably the biggest message here is now not to Mexico, but to China, that the president is clearly willing to use tariffs. And actually, the president believes that tariffs are a significant positive economic tool uh, lots of people in the country agree with that. That's never been my view, but mm-hmm. it's always been the president's view. So he is consistently willing to use something that uh, he has always said was, should be part of our arsenal.
1: I know a part of the immigration conversation is what to do with the migrants already here. You've been raising concern that funding is about to run out for the unaccompanied minor program yeah, within le- 30 days. When will Congress be voting on this?
5: Well, thank you for letting me talk about that. I, I think this is truly a humanitarian crisis. I hope our, our friends on the other side, the Democrats, will step up and join us in providing the money needed to take care of unaccompanied kids. Now, it's important to understand These are not kids who've been separated from their parents. This is no argument about separating kids from their parents. These are kids who are under 18 who came on their own. About 30% of them Mm -hmm. are under 12 or so. Uh, The others are teenagers of various ages, but they're minors, they get here on their own. Um, And there's no We're gonna have about 88,000 come this year. 88,000 kids by themselves. And everybody, when they think about this, surely understands you can't let 12 and 13 and 14 year old boys and girls. You can't say, okay, we don't have any place to go with mm-hmm. you, and it's illegal to return you back to your home country. We're just going to let you loose in the United States, and you you show up at some future time to when will that vote have be? your case handled. Well, it should have been, I think, when we voted on the the other emergency, but hopefully it will be soon. Two point eight billion dollars would go to homeland, uh, go Mm -hmm. not to homeland security, but health and human services for the sole purpose of taking care of these kids who are here by themselves. And we need to deal with that.
1: Senator, thank you. Thank you. We turn now to campaign 2020. This weekend, most of the candidates are either in Iowa or headed there. And there is a Des Moines Register poll out this morning. Twenty four percent of Democrats likely to participate in the February 3rd Iowa caucus support former Vice President Joe Biden as their first choice. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders comes in second with 16 percent of support. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg are right behind him at 15 and 14 percent, respectively. California Senator Kamala Harris comes in at 7 percent. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar and former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke are both at 2 percent, with the rest of the field getting 1 percent or less. We go now to one of those candidates campaigning in Iowa today, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who is in Cedar Rapids. Uh, Senator. Hey, Margaret. Good. Good to talk to you today. Uh, we just went through those polls. Are there just too many candidates running? Why do you think only a handful are, are actually breaking through?
6: Well, first of all, I am happy to be in the top six Uh, And ahead of 18 people. And we've got a long campaign ahead of us. I've always been a a Vikings fan. And I can't tell you how many games, Margaret, uh, where the Vikings were leading in the first quarter and go on to not quite make it. So I think you see a fluid race. And yes, there are a lot of candidates and you're going to see that narrowed down over time. Uh, I'm clearly on the debate stage uh, and expect to be there in the fall. And I think that's going to give opportunity to voters in Iowa and all across the country to really narrow it down. And for me, being from the Midwest and someone uh, that's running on a track record of getting things done, being effective, passing 100 bills where I was the lead Democrat uh, since I've been in the Senate, I think those are things that are going to matter to people. They want to see a vision that is not Donald Trump's, that it's not chaos every morning with every single tweet the people here in this state like all states around the country want a true leader who's going to get stuff done for them and cares about things that matter in their everyday lives mm-hmm. like the cost of pharmaceuticals or uh, the fact that we've got so many farms going under here in iowa uh, because of his trade war and the way he's handled uh, biofuels with secret waivers that he's given to the oil companies you name it there's a lot of people Um, despite the fact that our economy's been at a stable state in the last Mm -hmm. decade, it's getting harder and harder for a lot of people to make it.
1: So Senator Kamala Harris made this case last night that she is a prosecutor. That's her definition. Joe Biden, uh, the former vice president, you know, sort of paints himself in restoration, familiar. You hear Bernie Sanders as a revolutionary, as a Midwest moderate, what actually defines you and breaks you out of the pack?
6: Well, what breaks me out of the pack is the fact that I have passed 100 bills where I'm lead Democrat and has been, have been consistently considered one of the most effective senators on a lot of different surveys. The other thing is I'm able to win in red districts. I've done it every single time, won every single red congressional district. And that's not by selling out of my values. I'd say I'm a proven progressive, and that means I put the progress back in progressive But it's because I go where it is not just comfortable. Mm -hmm. I go where it's uncomfortable. I meet people where they are. I was in Cresco, Iowa, just last night. We had a big crowd there, proud to announce two new legislators supporting me uh, down here in Iowa. So I'm running this as a grassroots campaign, um, and I'm doing it the right way with grit I've always been the one that people didn't expect to win, but I have won every single race I've ever run. And I'm going to go in there with looking at our entire ticket and how we lead from the grassroots and bring people with us.
1: What about on on the issue of abortion? This is clearly emotional. It is divisive. It is something that does bring people out to vote. Uh, Is there any room for a Democratic candidate who supports abortion or, or excuse me, who does not support abortion, and like Joe Biden doesn't in the past, doesn't think there should be federal funding for it.
6: OK, well, I'll, I'll just make my position clear on this. I think what's going on in Alabama and Georgia in these states that basically have said doctors should go to prison, uh, that women should not have a choice at all. I think that is just wrong. And the vast majority of Americans are going to be against that. And I think that has been proven out. Uh, And 73% of Americans don't want to overturn Roe v. Wade. I also think you do have pro-life Democrats in our party. And they, that's their personal view. And that's fine. I think you also see them not wanting to put that view on other people. And that's why uh, it is my position and the strong position of our party uh, that we believe you shouldn't be putting doctors in prison for women just simply exercising their right to choose what they want to do but, with but, their bodies. But
1: on that specific issue of using taxpayer dollars, federal funding of abortion, the Hyde Amendment issue that came up this week, Uh, You, when you were asked about Joe Biden changing his position on it, you said it would have been a big problem for him. Do you think that this was a, a difference in conviction or just a matter of politics?
6: Uh, look at the numbers here, Margaret. We have a number of states uh, that already, including my own, by order of the Supreme Court, have said it's not fair that women who don't have as much money don't have the same choices as women who are wealthy. That's basically what the issue is here. And those states uh, that have ha- given that right to those women actually have also seen decreases in abortion. So for me, the goal is this we have choice in our country, uh, but that we also make sure uh, that we have reduced the number of abortions, which we've been doing. Why? Because we have contraception available, because we funded Planned Parenthood. So for me, I didn't agree with Joe Biden's position. I'm glad he changed it. It has long been my position. Uh, but you look at the facts here. Uh, we have reduced the number of abortions. By funding Planned Parenthood, and we have a president that I want to replace who doesn't even support funding Planned Parenthood, where one out of right. five women, sometime in their lifetime, go to get their health care.
1: Very quickly, since you're in Iowa, do you think President Trump's brinksmanship will pay off, particularly for
6: farmers there? Um, I don't think so. I mean, he's okay. becoming the threatener in chief. He is literally treating Senator, these farmers. Um, I'm running out of time here. Treating these farmers. Okay, they're like they're poker chips, basically, at one of his bankrupt casinos. I think it's wrong. And I think that we should have a consistent, strong trade policy that works for everyone in America.
1: We'll be right back.
3: Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices. It can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to a Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven, quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C A D E N C E. Sleepnumber.
1: We go now to Montana Governor Steve Bullock, who is in Denver, Colorado, a stop on his way to campaign in Iowa today. Uh, We have seen this new Iowa poll, Governor, and it says about two thirds of likely caucus voters say they prefer someone who can beat President Trump versus someone whose agenda they actually uh, agree with. Uh, Given that read, you're not breaking through in these polls. How do you make the case that you should be the candidate?
2: Yeah, Margaret, thanks for having me first. Yeah, and I just got into this about three weeks ago because I had a job to do. My legislature was still in session. But really, we need to make sure that we can not only bring out our base, but also win back places that we lost last cycle. And I'm the only one in the field that actually won in a Trump state. He took Montana by 21 points. I won by four. So I think that I have something meaningful to offer to this. I've also, my whole time I've been governor, I've led with a legislature that's about 60 percent Republican, but we've been able to get progressive things done, like getting dark money out of our elections and getting health care for 10 percent of my population, record investments in education. So look, number one focus certainly is beating Donald Trump, but we also got to bridge some of the divides to make our economy and government work for folks outside of D.C. again.
1: But if what's convincing voters is your viability rather than your platform, and at this point you do not qualify to appear on that debate stage at the end of the month, you have just a few more days to kind of rectify that. How long can you stay in this race and can you make it onto that debate stage?
2: Yeah, and we still have 240 days before Iowans first express their preferences in the caucus. So was certainly disappointed this week when heard that they wouldn't count one of the polls. But if I had to choose between chasing 100,000 voters and getting health care for 100,000 Montanans like I just did, I'd make that choice for health care each and every day. I think we still have a long way to go before this thing's decided. You can go back to 1991. Bill Clinton didn't even get into this race until October.
1: But how do you get the kind of money you need to be able to sustain the race if you can't make it onto the debate stage?
2: Well, we're so pleased. Even the day I announced about three weeks ago, a million dollars came in. Don't contributions from all fifty states. So we'll continue to get out there. We'll continue to both listen to folks and also travel. Like this week, I'm going all throughout rural Iowa and. You look at a third of the counties in Iowa voted for Obama twice and then Trump. If we can't win back places like that, if we can't win back places like Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, we're not going to actually win this election. I can do those sort of things.
1: Your uh, campaign certainly was critical of how the DNC made the determination regarding qualifications for the debate stage that you just were uh, explaining. Given all the controversy back in 2016, how the DNC handled things. Do you trust that they are playing fair with you?
2: Well, I get that, you know, we want to make sure that we get on to making sure that uh, we have a candidate that can beat Donald Trump. But really, at this point, we still have a long way to go in this. And this is about people talking to people and actually the voters expressing their preference more than the DNC rules.
1: But do you trust that the DNC will play fairly by you?
2: Well, I hope that the DNC will play fair by everyone in the field, because that's their role is to facilitate the voters' options, not to try to limit it. And certainly I am did have frustration and disappointment that a poll that was by their standards, I think, viewed as... You know, one of the qualifying organizations that this is where we are, but where we are, you know, there are th- some things I can control, some things that I can't.
1: You're talking about that, those campaign finance issues. I mean, that's really the only policy platform on your website right now. What do you stand for? What is your main agenda item that defines you?
2: Well, and f- yeah, I was attorney general when Citizens United decision came up, and have done more to try to make sure that elections are decided by people, not corporations than anybody else in this field. Fundamentally, we got to get the economy working for all of us, not just the Donald Trumps of the world. And we have to make sure that people believe that their vote and their voice matters. Once we start doing that, we can deal with. And that's the way we'll make meaningful progress in other areas.
1: But farm bankruptcies have doubled over the past five years. So if you're president, how do you change that? How do you handle China in a way differently than President Trump has?
2: Sure. And first of all, we have to do everything we can to make our farmers and ranchers viable. Even in Montana, we did like student loan assistance to try to get people back to the family farm. I was talking to someone in Iowa two weeks ago, lost one hundred and forty seven thousand dollars last year. And the notion that USDA will pay 70,000 bucks back is what this farmer was saying. Not only do the other financial hit, but they're also, you know, we're going to lose market. So. The way that the Trump administration has approached this is just sort of the blunt instrument of tariffs certainly isn't working. And I think he's kind of turned it America first into America alone. We've always made sure that we have open access to markets, not by going alone, but by going with other partners across the world and doing everything we can to open up markets.
1: Uh, Well, your state senator, uh, John Tester, was recently on the program. He said he hadn't yet made an endorsement when I asked if he would uh, back you. Have you persuaded him yet?
2: Yeah, I I think that John Tester is now on board, and I'm awful excited about his endorsement. I've known and worked with him for a long time now. Um, But he's also been such a voice in both rural areas, places that we need to win back, Bridging some of the divides, he got over a dozen bills just dealing with veterans um, passed under even this president. And he's also, though D.C. hasn't done much, he's been a voice for making sure that we get the big money out of the system, which we have to do.
1: Governor, thank you very much. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans. Our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies...
1: to face the nation. Joining us now is the Mexican ambassador to the United States, Marta Barcena Coqui. She was part of the Mexican negotiating team working to prevent the Trump administration from imposing tariffs on Mexico. Uh, good to have you here. Uh, your president held a rally in Tijuana last night, uh, but President Trump tweeted this morning that tariffs aren't totally off the table. Mm-hmm. Is it too soon to celebrate?
7: Um, Good morning, Margaret. I'm really thrilled to be here in Face the Nation. And yes, we were following the rally yesterday uh, at Tijuana with the saying, Mexico United is stronger and we want friendship and dialogue with the United States. So the idea of the rally was to inform the declaration that we agreed to and saying we avoided the imposition of tariffs and we want to continue to work with the US very closely on the different challenges that we have together. And one urgent one at this moment is immigration. Mm-hmm.
1: And this is just a declaration of principles. This isn't a signed agreement.
7: It's it's a joint declaration of principles, which is the base that gives us the base for, for the roadmap that we have to follow in, in the incoming months on immigration and cooperation on asylum issues and development in Central America.
1: So in 90 days, negotiators will reconvene. According to this announcement, there's a 90 day timeline. How quickly do you does your country think that you will see a drop off in these migrants?
7: We will deploy the National Guard from Monday. I want to explain that this deployment will take place now, because until two weeks ago, we were still discussing the laws to implement the National Guard. So the deployment throughout the country has has already begun, and it will increase next Monday. So uh, we will see how the results of the deployment of the National Guard, which, by the way, is not similar to the National Guard of the U.S., It is not like the National Guard of the U.S. It is a a police force based on the models of the European military police, like the Carabinieri, like the Gendarmerie, like the Guardia Guardia Civil Española. So we have to understand that Mm -hmm. when people... Talk about deployment of troops. They are wrong. What we are deploying is a police force and we are deploying it to put order in the borders. So we would this- hope that this will bring results in, in a very uh, relative short term, like in a month or a month and a half. Well, for the past three months, there have been more than
1: 100,000 migrants crossing the U.S. border. Last month alone, 132,000 apprehensions. That was up 30 percent. Did the Trump administration give you hard numbers, say we need to see a 30 percent decrease before we go back to putting a tariff threat on the table?
7: No, what we talked was that the numbers have to go down like, to previous levels that we had maybe last year or in 2018. What we are seeing is that this surge of migrants really was totally unexpected, both for Mexico and for the U.S. If you think that one almost one percent of the Honduran population has left The country in the last five months, and the same for Guatemala, then you have to realize that we are really in front of a humanitarian tragedy. And that is why we need to address the humanitarian tragedy with the elements that were put on in the declaration the enforcement search and enforcement of Mexican migratory laws, Mm -hmm. the expansion of the MPP. Then we will continue to have technical talks almost weekly and then to evaluate constantly what is going on in these 90 days, and then the commitment to cooperate with right. Central American countries for their development and prosperity. So it
1: sounds like there are a lot of details that will still be worked out on how this is actually going to work. What are some of these side agreements that the president is tweeting about?
7: I, I think there are a lot of the detail, details that we discussed during the negotiations and during the conversations that we didn't put in the declaration because this is different, um, different paths that we are to follow. Uh, let's say we even discuss at a certain time how to put more emphasis in the rural areas of Central America, where 60 percent of the migrants are coming from. Mm -hmm. So and we have been putting more effort on uh, security and good governance and and, um, training police, but very little in the rural areas. So this is the kind of things that we will continue to work.
1: Very quickly, though, was there any kind of agreement by your government to buy agricultural products?
7: It is our understanding that without tariffs and with USMCA ratification, uh, there there will be an increased rates both in agricultural products and manufactured products. But nothing that was
1: actually agreed to as part of this negotiation, because the president's been tweeting saying that Mexico agreed to buy all sorts of agricultural products.
7: I would, what I would say is that even now we are the second buyer of the US in right. and grains and, and meat and this. We have an integrated economy in the agricultural sector. Of course. We export fruit and vegetables to the US also contributing to a healthier diet in the U.S., and we be, we buy basically grains and meat. So the trends are did. already there. So what we are expecting without the tariffs is an increase. You have to remember that until last year, we were the third trade partner. Mm-hmm. We are now the first. So we are your most important market and you are our most important market. Our Is trade on agricultural products going to grow? Yes, it is going to grow. And it is going to grow without tariffs and with USMCA ratification. But there was no transaction that was signed off on
1: as part of this deal, is what I understand you're saying. You're just talking about trade.
7: I'm talking about trade. And I am absolutely certain that the trade in agricultural goods could increase dramatically in the next few months. All right, Ambassador,
1: thank you for joining thank us. Thank you very much for we'll tracking Margaret. to see uh, how you. those negotiations continue to go. We'll be right back with our political panel.
3: What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com.
1: It's time now for some analysis from our political panel. Mark Landler is a White House correspondent at the New York Times and soon to be London Bureau Chief. Karen Tumulty is a columnist covering national politics at the Washington Post. David Nakamura is also at The Post, and he covers the White House. And Kelsey Snell is a congressional reporter for NPR. Good to have you all here. Mark, let's pick up where we just left off with the ambassador. It sounds like there's no signed agreement. There are a lot of details that still need to be figured out here. But the president has declared victory in avoiding the tariffs he threatened to put on Mexico.
8: That's right. And, and it's a pattern we've seen repeatedly with this president. Um, he, he sort of creates a crisis. Has some sort of a fairly general resolution to it that's lacking any details, uh, and then declares victory. Um, This is what he did with the North Korea nuclear crisis in Singapore. Um, There, in this particular situation, there are some very important sort of unresolved business. uh, The most important of which I think is this concept of third safe country. (laughs) The United States wanted Mexico to agree to this. The Mexicans have not, in part because uh, doing so would require them to get uh, their own Senate to. Uh, ratify this measure, and I think there's a great deal of concern in Mexico that um, announcing something like this before it's ratified would lead to a renewed surge in migrants. So there there are key parts of this that are unresolved, but you have to say, from an economic point of view, from the market's point of view, from the potential impact on the economy, he stepped back from the brink. I think he'll probably be rewarded with a very strong uh, market opening uh, tomorrow morning, Uh, and and in some uh, sense, he's right. He has resolved for the moment the sense of crisis. He hasn't resolved the problem longer term.
1: And Karen, we had a Republican senator who had been concerned about the president's threat praising this brinksmanship. Does this in some way empower the president to defy his party and continue to use tariffs as his chief tool negotiating?
9: Well, certainly everything with this administration ends up being defined as an economic question. And it It will be interesting to see if there's anything that comes along that what the ambassador said that was so striking is that, you know, that the countries that are sending Honduras, Guatemala, have each lost one percent of their population in the last five months. It seems like any kind of long term solution is going to have to deal with the factors in those countries that are driving desperate people out And, you know, ultimately, you are not going to see the kind of reduction in the, in numbers that the president is going to want and need unless you are dealing with what, in fact, is causing Exactly
10: migration. right. We quoted um, former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson the Obama administration just this week talking about unless you address those push factors, which takes years, you're not going to see the numbers. And he has personal experience. We saw the uh, numbers at the borders uh, from Central America swell under the Obama administration in 2014. We saw children being held in uh, border patrol stations and, and agents trying to deal with, with changing diapers and feeding them. Uh, and that re- that had a huge uh, impact politically in the United States. There was a big response, including from the Mexican government, more enforcement uh, the numbers dipped the next year, but then went up even more Obama's last year. Uh, and that pattern has happened again under Trump. We saw the lower numbers in 2017. Now they're higher than they've been in, in 12 years. And what you saw with the president announcing this deal is he has kept the threat of tariffs on the table. He said, I could come back in a few months, 90 days or more, come back at this again if Mexico does not respond. And the truth will be in the numbers uh, at the end of each month where we're gonna, you could see a dip, but it could go back up.
1: And that general agreement, the declaration we saw, Kelsey, did mention support for these Central American countries, but there were no specifics. You had Senator Blunt say, I support more foreign aid, but does Congress actually do anything to back up what the president? essentially promised to do.
11: Well, the problem with Congress is they have traditionally shown that they cannot get immigration bills passed. And one of the questions that still remains out there is what do they do about people who are coming to the border? What, how do they handle the people who are already coming? And what do they do about asylum seekers and the legal immigration process, all of which they haven't been able to answer in a way that actually moves the ball forward or brings them any closer to actually passing anything? And that's even further complicated by the fact that, you know, immigration is now, because of the these tariffs become very deeply intertwined with the conversations about trade. And that's something that Congress is deeply concerned with. And there are, particularly in the House, a number of people who are very worried that if the if they don't get this USMCA, the trade agreement with Mexico and Canada through, that they're, they'll just lose all of their trading opportunities with these countries. So the two issues are now so deeply intertwined, it's it's hard to see how they figure it out.
1: And And you had the ambassador gesture to that, but diplomatically acknowledged there was no deal to buy American agricultural products that the president said on Twitter there was.
8: That's right. And that's sort of, again, typical of President Trump. He often will sort of go a little bit further than the details in the agreement. I think it's worth pointing out one other thing, though, and this is where the intertwining of trade and immigration becomes important. There were some real warning signs late last week in the latest jobs number, um, in some of the financial statistics, the bond yield, uh, that suggests that the the economy is actually more fragile and more vulnerable to being hurt by tariffs, the impact of tariffs on the economy, uh, than perhaps we thought as recently as three, four weeks ago. And I have to believe that entered into the president's calculus. He has to be thinking about all of this in the context of 2020. What he really has going for him has been the resilience of this economy. If that doesn't hold up, he has another much larger problem on his hands. I think that played into his thinking.
1: And it's interesting, Karen, when you talk to some of the 2020 candidates and you ask them about running against the Trump economy and the strength of that, they often point to the vulnerability of American farmers, But American farmers, have they shown any sign of pulling back from supporting President Trump?
9: Um, They they are concerned and and they are feeling the, the impact already of the trade wars. But in my own interviewing and what you see, too, and in other reporting is the support does remain relatively strong for the president. And a lot of his supporters in middle America say, "Okay, this is causing a little bit of short term pain for me. But but, you know, I have confidence the president has a long term strategy out there that is ultimately going to pay off. The question is whether they will still feel that way a year from now.
1: And do we see any vote, by the way, on what Senator Blunt was saying, is in terms of these unaccompanied children uh, running out of money to? Take care of them in U.S. custody within thirty days.
11: No, I, it's very hard to see how that becomes part of the things that they need that they, they, they pass before Congress goes out of town. I mean, they they don't have much time left. They are going on break that they go on every year and at the beginning of August, and they need to get a lot of things done, like spending agreements, and they have a lot of nominations to process. The calendar is just very tight, very tight, and it doesn't seem like there's much. I mean,
10: yeah, it's oh, a big problem. I mean, they you know the the. Trump's own DHS came out and said, "We need this emergency funding, and we need a lot of it to deal with this crisis. This is not politics. This is a humanitarian crisis." Trump's own department said this. Um, and in twenty, if you just look back, I mentioned this before, but this, a similar crisis in twenty fourteen, not as big, uh, the, uh, the Obama administration put forward a similar four million dollar, a billion dollar. Uh, emergency spending proposal uh, supplemental to try to deal with their own crisis at the border. and was not passed. Uh, both parties went into recess. Republicans were blocking that idea in the House. Now you have it flipped. where Republicans are saying, well, the Republican administration is saying, we need the money, but that doesn't look like the political will to do anything. And that's a real problem as these numbers, as high as they were, they could come down a little bit. They're still going to remain fairly high, though. Um, uh, you know, over time, it's going to take a while for Mexico if they're even going to be able to do anything dramatic to bring any kind of these numbers down. So I think we're looking at a real potential problem here.
1: And Senator Blunt blamed Democrats for that, Kelsey. What is the issue with approving this funding to take care of these underage kids?
11: Well, because it always gets intertwined with the wall. And that for a lot of Democrats at this point, when the president says immigration, they hear the wall. And it's very difficult for Republicans to separate that out because a lot of constituents, a lot of voters hear when the president says immigration, the wall, the same way Democrats do. And the longer that that goes on, the more that Democrats default to having a conversation about the wall, the harder it gets for them to pass anything. And I think that if they want to get this border supplemental done, the best opportunity they have might be to combine it with some other thing that absolutely has to pass. But we know that that has its own perils. And when is that going to (laughs) happen? It's a great question. They, I mean, they have to keep the government open um, after September 30th, and they (laughs) they would like to get a, a deal. To increase spending before then, so there's a lot of moving parts at this point. I mean,
10: the president shut down the government for 35 days over his border wall, and he the numbers continued to go up at the border. He then said, "I'm going to shut down the entire border to tourism and trade." Had that threat in April, right. the numbers continue to go up. Now he's threatened this tariffs. The numbers are the highest ever. We don't know that any of this stuff works.
1: Well, this though, <laughs> what we do know is that immigration is something the president wants to talk about on the campaign trail, though Republicans would like to stay focused on the economy. The other thing that seems to be resonant on, on both sides is the abortion issue right now. Um, Karen, by having this be so front and center in the 2020 race, does this hurt Democrats? Does this help Democrats?
9: You know, traditionally, um, abortion has been a voting issue primarily on the side of of people who oppose abortion. it's It's been a top priority for them. But if you look at, you know, the changing makeup of the Supreme Court, if you look at some of the laws that are being passed out in the states, in places like Alabama and Georgia, specifically as an effort to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade, what you are seeing is that it is rising as a priority among Democrats. And the fervor, I think, right now is there. The fact is, Public opinion on abortion has always been complicated. Going all the way back to Roe v.ersus Wade, what you had was a plurality of people having, you know, moral difficulties with abortion, but a majority, a small majority, a close majority of people want to see it remain legal in most of the circumstances in which it is used. This is now being tested in a way that I think is energizing Democrats. And Mark, one of
1: those people who's openly had a moral issue, as you put it, with abortion has been Vice President Biden, who's been very open that as a Catholic, it is problematic for him. But then we saw this, what's characterized as a flip-flop by some this week, where he now says uh, he can no longer block federal funding of abortion.
8: Yeah, that's right. So Joe Biden, like many other Democrats, uh, even though he had these these sort of very ambiguous views, um, felt that sort of the right balance to strike was uh, to not oppose a woman's right to abortion, but to acknowledge that federal funding shouldn't be used to pay for it. This was a this was known as the Hyde Amendment. It passed on a bipartisan basis for many years. Um, But what Joe Biden has discovered is he's no longer in the mainstream of his party. He's really an outlier at this point. And not only that, it's really not a sustainable position. So after initially sticking to the position via aid, saying he's not changing his view on this, he was forced to do this rather embarrassing flip flop, which, uh, you know, raises questions in the minds of some Democrats about the other elements of Joe Biden's very, very long legislative record. Is he going to have to flip-flop uh, on Iraq? He's already acknowledged he, he regrets the, the Iraq vote. Um, is he going to have to flip-flop on the crime bill? There's a lot of things in Joe Biden's record, which is very different than many others in the field, just right. because of how long he's been doing this, that we may see this kind of pattern of him being forced to reckon with the positions he took.
1: And we'll talk about that on the other side of this <laughs> as well. It's going to be challenged in 2020. We'll be back in a moment with a look at the legacy of American leadership.
12: I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So, what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N O O M.com slash podcast, and start your 14 day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom.
1: 75 years after D-Day. On June 6, 1944, Allied troops landed on a 50-mile stretch of French coastline, poised to fight Nazi Germany. It was the largest sea invasion in history, and it helped change the course of World War II. From that alliance grew a new world order that is being tested today. It was a rare moment of unity, comedy, and reflection Thursday on the hallowed ground of Normandy, where 10,000 soldiers, more than 2,000 of them American, lost their lives in the fight for freedom.
3: You are among the very greatest Americans who will ever live. You are the pride of our nation. You are the glory of our republic. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts.
1: It has been 75 years since D-Day, but as France's President Emmanuel Macron expressed, some debts can never be repaid.
7: We know what we owe to you veterans, our freedom. On behalf of my nation, I just want to say thank you.
1: He also thanked those veterans for, as he put it, the heritage of peace they left behind, the world order that America shaped. Out of the ashes of war, America rebuilt its broken and bankrupt allies through the Marshall Plan and even shored up its defeated enemies. The IMF and the World Bank were created to lift countries out of poverty, the United Nations to preserve world peace, and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, to guard it. Standing at Normandy in 1984, President Ronald Reagan described it as America's vow to our dead.
5: The strength of America's allies is vital to the United States and the American security guarantee is essential to the continued freedom of Europe's democracies. We were with you then, we're with you now. Your hopes are our hopes and your destiny is our destiny. Here in this place where the West held together. Let us make a vow to our dead, strengthened by their courage, heartened by their value and born by their memory. Let us continue to stand for the ideals for which they lived and died.
1: Today, those ideals and values are being challenged by populist movements in Europe, causing fractures in their union and in the U.S., where some wonder whether America still benefits from the world order it crafted. President Trump himself often calls into question America's alliances, including with those countries who fought alongside it at Normandy. But on Thursday, the tumultuous political moment we now live in seemed to pause to remember the enormous legacy of American leadership.
3: The American sons and daughters who saw us to victory were no less extraordinary in peace. They built families They built industries. They built a national culture that inspired the entire world.
1: Politics may no longer stop at the water's edge. Alliances may be cracked or frayed. But for a moment, on Normandy's shores this week, the world celebrated again the values and veterans who continue to define American greatness. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, Montana Governor Steve Bullock, and Mexican Ambassador to the U.S., Marta Barcena Coquin. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow the show and CBS News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m.,
0: and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three,
12: four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.
0: A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.